Thanks for listening to the Unicast. I'm your host, Phil Sanders. Remember, this podcast might contain adult languages and situations. This is all just meant for fun. Nothing is meant to be taken seriously, and I might get my facts and information wrong. Enjoy, and have a good time. Hi, Ed. Yes, well, Phil. Thank- welcome. Thank you for doing this with me. Uh, thank you for getting yeah. me on. I'm excited. I- it's the first time I've been the subject of a I, podcast. I didn't even think... I almost don't even feel like it's real right now. I feel like it's a unicycle event all over again. <laughs> yeah, like, I only ever see you once every two years. I know, man. and it's heartbreaking. Uh, I yeah. watch everything that STFU puts out, and I, I just... It's my dream. It's like a dream place to be. It looks like a fantasy land for unicyclists. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Um, tell me, like, so, oh, you were saying that, uh, STFU is four years old now. Yeah, literally, like, this weekend just gone, uh, I guess, depends on when you're listening to this, but, like, middle of December, STFU's birthday, 2016 was when we kind of started doing Mm -hmm, stuff, mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, 2020, we're four years old now, um, it doesn't seem that long for me, um, but, on the other hand, like it feels like we've done so much in those four years, um, but we've definitely come way further than I ever imagined. Yeah, dude, it's incredible to see all those people you guys got together and just uh, all the incredible places that you guys get to ride the skate parks and just all your you know outdoor street locations. Yeah, and I mean, to be honest, and some people might say, "Oh, you're selling yourself short here," but all I did was like create a facebook page basically yeah. and an instagram page <laughs> and i was like right we're just we're gonna ride this place at this time and then like people showed up yeah and well eventually people showed up like we've had a few where, where we've had like three right. of us um sure. but basically that's all we've done we've just organized rides and like it's gathered momentum that's pretty awesome uh what what started like what made you want to get going um well, you're, well you, I can talk to you about Voodoo Unicycles because you know what Voodoo Unicycles yeah, is. Yeah, um, So, like, you probably remember Voodoo Unicycles from back in the day. Um, I think it was, like, 08 or 09. We can't, we're kind of doing... We started doing the Voodoo thing, and that was basically shows and displays, like extreme unicycle shows. Yeah, you guys shows. had to do a pretty big traveling thing one time, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that lasted, well, for me, that lasted until like 2013, I think. Um, and it got from the point where we would do small, like, village fates and mm-hmm, stuff mm-hmm. and tiny little little events. Um, and in the end, uh, I think it was like the year I left, they did like a, a Skyride tour. So like Sky, like the TV company, booked the guys to do a whole year of shows on this massive tour that they did of the UK. Um, So it was like a crazy amount of shows over the summer. It was like 20 shows, I think, um, over the whole year. I can't remember. uh, Simon and Mike would know better than I do. But yeah, so they did like, they had like this massive contract with Sky to do a certain number of shows. And they went to like um, Qatar a few times as well, I think. I think that's Um, all the stuff I saw. This is all slightly after my time. but yeah, so we we had been doing that, and um, and I, me and Jason just kind of parted ways, um, and so from 2013 to like 2016, I was doing well, doing nothing. Um, <laughs> I was 
I wasn't doing nothing. I was kind other of like things. out of the scene. Doing bit. other things. Yeah, yeah. So like I went back to college um, and I got a I got a film degree, uh, which I'd actually originally started um, because of unicycling. Um, I just wanted to make videos, unicycles videos better. So I went to college and did a film degree because um, I didn't know how to use a camera or uh, yeah, I, I used to always make the videos, but I didn't really know what I was doing. I'll just point a camera Absolutely. in the right direction and film. I feel the same way. So I was like, do you know what? I really enjoy this. I'm going to go and learn about it properly. So I, I did that between 20, 2012. I think I started doing that um, and then finished in 2016. Um, but in between, I hadn't really been on the scene. I went to Canada and went to Montreal, mm-hmm. Unicorn. Yeah, yeah. Um, which you know very well. <laughs> oh man, I, the parts <laughs> I remember were incredible. I think the less said about that, the better. Um, but there is an incredible photo of us too. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, that was kind of the only thing I'd done, and then I went to Unicon again in 2016 in Spain, um, and it was then that I was really like, do you know what? I want to do something else. I feel like. Um, I want to be involved in the community as heavily as I was before. Um, and I spent, I, I'd already thought that before I went to Unicon in San Sebastian. Um, but as soon as obviously I saw everyone and I kind of got talking to everyone again and competed a little bit and I got into the, I got into the elite finals of downhill that year. Oh yeah. Um, cause I was an old man <laughs> at that point. So I was doing Muni. Um, uh. and I was like, do you know what I've, I can love this sport, so I want to do something else. You hear that, Muni Riders? Um, sorry? You hear that, Muni Riders? We're judging. We're judging. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I was like, I want to do something else. And I spent the rest of that year like trying to think, what could I do? Um, and after Voodoo kind of just stopped doing stuff, uh, the scene really took a nosedive in the UK. We used to have a really healthy scene. We'd have loads of people turn up to group rides. Um, although they wouldn't be that often, would have maybe a couple of group rides a year in London. Um, and then if Voodoo was doing shows, there might be like a little ride around that, but nothing more really. Um, and Tyrion moved to the UK as well. Yeah, I saw um, that. Like the perfect time. It was like, it must have been like late 2015 or something. He was moving over because he kept having to like leave and come back and leave and come back. Um, so that must have been like 2015, 2016 time. And then it was like towards the end of 2016, I think he got his visa properly. So he didn't have to go back that much anymore. Um, and he had, he was pretty active at the time. And uh, he knew me, Simon and Mike pretty well. Um, he lived in London, so he was near to all of us as well. Um, and so we started riding more regularly than we had been. And I think it was around that December in 2016, we had a ride and we talked about this in my podcast uh, this past week, just gone, mm-hmm. um, at Stratford International Station. It was me, Simon, Mike, Tyrion, and Jenny Rinker. I can't remember why Jenny Rinker was there, but she was just <laughs> yeah, there. For the street riding, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and we'd actually ridden a, a month or so before that as well. Um, was it? No. No, we rode again on New Year's Eve that year. Um, and we made two videos. Um and the one from Stratford um, turned turned into the first STFU video. Um, and it was literally just a flat video because it rained the whole day. 
doesn't um, know it. <laughs> there was there's like a, a bit of a canopy over Stratford Station, and so there was like a bit of concrete that was dry. So we just rode there all day, and I think we stayed at Simon's flat in um, in Greenwich or De- no, it's in Deptford at that point um, in South London, and so we stayed there and then we rode a tiny bit the next day so there might be like one or two clips of like the church at Deptford the next day um and I think it was then when Tyrion was like we should do this more often why don't we hold like one ride every month and when like I think we were sitting in like the pub or something when he said that and me Mike and Simon were like are you mental (laughs) no one is going to come to a ride every single month like we can't even hold one ride a year and have people show up no one's going to come to one ride every month um but he was like well if you have it consistently every month and just show up regardless like eventually people will start coming and we were like all right then so so we just tried it and the first ride was january 2017 was it was it 2016 i can't remember it it feels so long ago but the first ride was January anyway, because we had started this thing in December. So January, we were like, okay, new year, new us. Let's just start this thing and see what happens. Um, so yeah, January in Brighton, um, which is on the south coast of England, um, in January. So it was absolutely fucking freezing. <laughs> Me, Simon and Tyrion went, like, traveled down together to, to go to this ride. And we we're like, right, who's going to turn up? Who's going to turn up? So kind of exciting no one showed up we waited at the station for like an hour no one showed up uh typical we unicyclists like, just typical. yeah so we we're like all right we're here we might as well ride um so we had a ride it was fun you know seaside town um brighton's actually got loads of cool stuff along the front so like the beach at brighton is just pebbles so it's not sandy uh, and there's like a, a front and there's loads of bars and cafes and stuff all along the front. And there's loads of like wanky sculptures and art stuff along the mm-hmm, front. Mm-hmm. So it's actually quite good for riding. So we spent like half the day riding along the front until we got too cold. Uh, and then we just spent the rest of the day in a cafe. And then we were sitting in the cafe and we we're like, okay, let's plan next month. Yeah. <laughs> so then we planned like the next one. And to begin with, that's how we did it. So we would plan the next ride like on the current one. And we would almost just take like a map of the uk and just like throw a dart at it yeah um and we were pretty much we've pretty much just thought okay well where do you fancy riding next month and that's how we would do it and that's how it started but and i think the key thing is we've never missed a month oh that's impressive the only time the only ride i haven't been to was when unicorn was in korea oh for sure Um, i mean you gotta go to korea yeah uh but we still had one we had a ride in manchester um and we got some guys that weren't coming to unicorn to go there and meet anyone that turned up and i think i think we had it simultaneously with the stfu street ride in seoul (laughs) i I can't remember for sure but i think i planned it so they were on the same yeah yeah, so everyone's in unity street riding together yeah in theory we're riding together uh, what about uh, the name? Where the? How did you? I mean, obviously, STFU. It's pretty straightforward. But uh, is something specific that that christened that name? Um, I wanted it to be. I'd learned first. I'd learned from Voodoo Unicycles that a name is kind of oh, important, so important because before that, I had thought like, "What's in a name? It's just a name. Like you can, you can 
project any meaning you want onto almost any name. Um, so the name is almost irrelevant. That's what I thought before. But with Voodoo, I'd learned that if you use certain evocative words, then people will assign their own meaning to it that's not necessarily the meaning you intended. Certainly. Um, so like we used to get loads of spam with Voodoo from like religious people saying like Voodoo's evil, <laughs> Voodoo's this, Voodoo's that. And uh, I didn't want that. I didn't oh want that whole God. thing again. So I actually spent the longest amount of time trying to think of what this thing was. Because I, I knew in my head that I wanted to like boost the riding scene and that's what I wanted this new thing to do. But I didn't know what... I wanted it to be like edgy, but also kind of cool and a little bit catchy so you could remember it. And it took me, I think, a year to think of the name. Um, and it was my sister that helped me in the end. She's a, she's a linguist. And... Um, I, I knew I wanted it to be edgy and STFU was kind of like an in thing at the time, but also it's street trials and flat. Of course. Oh, it's perfect. Oh my God. It's so perfect. Um, so I was like STFU is so perfect, but it can't just be STFU because that's, it's too short. Um, and it's just like, it, it's not a name. It didn't feel like a name. And, um, we were like, it needs something else to kind of flesh it out and make it a full name. Um, and I think I'd gone to visit my sister. She lived in India for a bit and we were sitting in a cafe and I was like, I was talking to her about what I wanted to do. And I was like, yeah, I want it to be like UK based. I want people to know that it's like something coming out of the UK. And, um, she was like, well, just put London in. Yeah, there you go. Bam. And I was like, oh yeah, it's perfect. Like that's where, where most, well, at the time that's where most of us were based like around london um it's kind of like the spiritual home of unicycling in the uk for urban unicycling for sure um and stfu london just sounded like like a round like a rounder name do you know what yeah I mean? like, yeah yeah it completes kind of it there's like a finish off. on it stfu yeah london blam yeah so that's kind of how the name came about oh man it was very much more thought out than foodie. Uh, well, and you know, if you put that all aside too, people, are, you know, you could be just shut the fuck up and unicycle, you know? Yeah. Uh, I wanted it to have that edge. So I was like, STFU is perfect because people think they know what it means, but actually they yeah, I don't. Got my, I got my sweatshirt. I got my sweatshirt, my hat, like right over here in my room. Uh, yeah. Sometimes I'm like wearing it at work and people are like, I don't know. Can you be wearing that? at work and i'm like uh, i'm like yeah. yeah i can you don't know what it means <laughs> you know get out of your yeah. out of your mind americans that, that's exactly how i wanted people to react to it and um sometimes i do get a bit self-conscious when i'm wearing like my hoodie um or like a t-shirt or something and it says stfu on it especially if i'm working with like a corporate client <laughs> i'm like i wonder what they think yeah yeah hopefully they just think you're edgy and they're like well if they're edgy i mean they're probably do good work i mean i don't want like a non-edgy person to be working with me you know yeah and i think because you've got the london moniker underneath it i feel like you can get away with it a bit more because it's not just like stfu they they probably look at the london and they're like oh it must yeah, mean something that's that exactly what it's like. like i'm not gonna assume i know what it means uh but I'm yeah suspicious to say the least yeah I, I hope that's what people get from it anyway. That was kind of the idea. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I am only jealous. Like, you know, you do, in Spokane, for example, you know, we have a few people who ride. And I, I have a club that's been meeting. We, we try to do weekly rides when everything isn't shut down, of course. And, yeah. you know, people come, but we get 
just a mixed variety of people who are essentially dabbling in unicycling. No judgment, people might club if you see this. Uh, I love all of you, please come. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and they're, they haven't found, I would say, their, like, unicycle voice, if you will. Uh, so a lot of them, you know, there's me and uh, another individual yeah. who are riding a lot. Um, but we ride multiple times a week. Anyway, you know. Uh, That's the dream. Yeah. Uh, do you... The thing about FCFU is because it's like a nationwide thing and most of us are actually spread around, yeah. it's literally like once a month. And I don't have a club local to me, so uh, do you f I still miss that part. Yeah, totally. Do you feel that the proximity of uh, the UK makes it like a bit more attainable? Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I thought I saw it on my phone. <laughs> <sighs> I have an emergency contact that can get through even if my phone's silenced and uh, that's who it was. So. And that yeah. one person texts you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool man you can just yeah oh, i wish oh. <laughs> um, yeah, um do you think the proximity uh in the uk helps yeah i think that helps for sure i mean some we were just talking about this on our podcast earlier <laughs> this week some people still have like ridiculous journeys so like sandy was saying he had like a seven hour train ride to our unicycle.com ride last november um but i guess when you compare that to like the australian guys Oh, yeah. Tyrion was telling oh. us, like, you'd have to get on a plane to go to a, a weekend no ride, which is absolutely... And I guess it's for the, for the same for you guys in the States. Like, if you live on the East Coast and there's a ride on the West Coast, you're going to have to get on a plane or it's you're driving even, for a long not time. Not even a debate. Not even a debate. It's just there's no other way to travel in the United States. Yeah. So in in terms of, like, that, then, yeah, like, we've got it easy. We're spoiled, really. Um, and a lot of people live in kind of like close proximity anyway so like um around the london area there's quite a lot of us i'm sort of north london Tyrion's pretty sent well not central but he's much closer to the middle than i am um and then marie is on the south coast she turns up to our rides really often um there's a few guys on the south coast actually and then as you go up north uh, maybe like three hours north of London. There's a big concentration of riders around Nottingham. And then again in the north around unicycle.com, there's another big concentration of riders. Um, and those concentrations of riders tend to stay in their own areas because why would you go somewhere else to ride when you can just stay in the local area <laughs> and ride? Whereas where there's like hardcore people, um, like Marie Schlenko's on the south coast, she travels a lot to the STFU rides um mike obviously is in boston which is on the east coast he travels a lot to rides um and then there's one or two guys in like the far southwest devon and cornwall they draw the short straw really and they always have to travel really far to rides um but no one really travels more than like four hours typically if you have to drive like five or six hours that's basically one end of the country to the other oh, that's a that's not too bad. Uh, if yeah. I could drive like five hours to uni any unicycle event, I would do it every weekend. Like, I could drive five hours, no problem. And that that's what really winds me up about the UK scene because that within a two-hour drive of like where I am right now, there's probably hundreds of unicyclists, but none of them can be asked to drive a couple of hours oh to a ride. And this is the struggle that we've had over the last four years. Um, we 
we've put together the UUU, which is um, the Union of UK Unicyclists. Oh, nice. I say we've put it together. It it always used to Another exist, but name. it's just been inactive for years. Yeah, um, I mean that's existed since two thousand and one, I think. Um, but we've recently picked it up because the existing committee just, I just think, lost interest, sure. which is fair enough. Um, so we've been trying to revive that, and we've been getting and share like some rides happen. We try and share them through that page so people see them, and we get messages like, um, "Oh, what, is there any events going on?" And you'll be like, "Oh yeah, like the UK Trials Championships is happening in Essex, like in May or whenever," and you'll get a reply like, oh, isn't there anything closer to me? Oh, and it's like, my God. it's like, it's an event that it, you're in a niche sport. You're going to have to travel to, to like, if you want to socialize with other unicyclists and, and ride with other people, you're going to have to travel. You can't expect 8,000 people to be in the next town to you that ride. Yeah. We're not going to drive by and like pick you up on the way to the event. Yeah. <laughs> Or something like that. And, Come on, UK unicyclists. I mean, it, it, it does wind me up. It's not spe- It's not anyone's fault. I think it's of just, course. especially people that are new to riding, they just don't realize how niche it is. Um, because in the UK, there's like a football club in every town. Um, totally. More than one football club. There's like probably three or four leagues of football clubs in every town. You can go and practice football like probably three or four times a week if you wanted to. In every and like on every level of like like super casual to yeah. extremely elite and whereas there's only one unicycling event in the UK every year and that's the trials championships uh, at the moment anyway. Um and we don't even have like a national championships anymore because when the UUU kind of became inactive, they were the ones that were organizing it. Um, so yeah, there's not even like a national championships. Do you think you're motivated enough? Not necessarily you. Do you think the UK unicyclists are motivated enough to do like a bigger like UK championships again? Yes. Um, and it is slowly happening. Um, like I just said, we, we kind of resurrected the UUU again. Um, and the ultimate goal is to revive BUC, which is the British Unicycle Convention. Um, I'll be there instantly. (laughs) That, oh, mate, come, you're welcome. You're more than welcome. Um, I'll come in last place in every event. You'll (laughs) see. You'll see. Um, but the major hurdle to that is getting people there. Um, because a lot of we have a lot of new riders here, especially since COVID. Um, Roger at Unicycle.com like sold out of everything. Um, he sent me a photo of his warehouse, and there's literally like no boxes left in it. It's just an empty warehouse. Um, and so we've got loads of new riders, but the most frustrating thing is we can't do anything with them because we can't put on events at the moment. Yeah, of course. Um, and uh, we can't put on events because of COVID, but also we have no infrastructure to like organize an event anyway. Totally. Um, so we're trying to get the UU back together, which we're doing. It takes time, like all these things. Um, and I'm, I'm secretary, I'm secretary of the club. Um, and then we've got uh, a guy called Mark, who's actually an American um, who's living in the UK. And he, he's the chairman. Um, and, 
Marie is, I think, freestyle rep, um, but she does a lot, lot of work for the youth. Um, does a lot of work, and Gareth Wolcombe, who I know you know, he does oh, a good. lot of work. He's not actually <laughs> on the committee officially, uh, but he does a lot of work behind the scenes on the website. So we've got a virtual distance league at the moment um, through the UUU. Oh, that's cool. and there's like a there's like a live tape um, like results table on the website. Gareth's done all the work for that. Um, we held the King of the Lockdown competition uh, earlier on in the year, um, yeah, which was that. a comp- which was a competition, um, and that had like 50 participants, which was amazing. We organised that through the UUU, um, but the ultimate goal is to get a national event up and running again. Oh, Jeez, I main... feel like I've been sitting on my butt this whole pandemic. Goodness. <laughs> well, from having a ride every month to suddenly going to nothing for like nine months. I mean, we've had like two rides in that time. But going from one thing every month to absolutely nothing, there was all of a sudden there was like a whole group of us just sitting around like thinking, what the hell are we going to do? Um, and so I think we put all that energy into unicycling online um because most of the well i say most a lot yeah. of the uu commit stfu regulars that makes sense you know the the most dedicated types yeah and i think the like the hardcore group of stfu riders are kind of getting to that age now where they want to like do something for unicycling yeah um, contribute yeah and um and organize stuff that was certainly the case for me um i mean I pretend to be an adult now, so I was like, do you know what? <laughs> Don't we are. I can, uh, I can just approach a venue and say, I want to do this event. Um, and that's how the uh, STFU Trials Championships came about. I was just like, I know a, a nice venue. I'll just ask them. Um, and I'm, I'm in a position where it was somewhere where I, where I used to ride a lot, trials. They know me. I knew them a little bit. I know them really well now. Um, and I was like, I can put this thing on. It's not actually going to be that difficult to organize. So I should do it. And I think a lot of the people on the UUU committee are people that are of that same mindset. That's cool. Do you think it was helpful, this this trials place you did it at? It, it was outdoors, right? Yeah. Uh, and you guys have a, some, a decent amount of these outdoor trials parks in the UK. Am, if, am I mistaken? Uh, no. People do it, but like, it's it's like unicycling. You're you're starving to to find it. But then when you see events that happen for trials in the United States, they look like the biggest biking events you've ever seen, and then yeah. and then they disappear and it's gone again. Yeah, um, I th- especially in Spain, trials biking's really big, um, and I, we're lucky here in the UK that um, we had like Martin Ashton. Um, who is, if you follow any kind of extreme sports, uh, Martin Ashton was like one of the pioneers of bike trials. Um, and he's a British guy. Um, and there was a guy called Steve, I can't remember his surname, but, um, we've had a lot of really famous, um, bike trials riders from the UK and it's kind of where it developed, um, alongside like in Europe and France and Spain, I think it's really big. And in some of the Eastern European countries as well, um, it's really big in Europe. Um, and it's, you're right, it is kind of like unicycling in that 
in the early 2000s it was really popular like mid 90s to the early or mid 2000s i think trials biking peaked um and it's definitely more underground now but it's established itself so like at the high end the competition is insane uh, and there's a lot of money yeah, yeah. Like, you get totally. professional trials bikers and because of that we have loads of trials parks i say loads we have more than your average state in america i guess absolutely i um, think i've I mean, been to one place that is qualified as a trials park in all of the united states uh and it's in seattle wow it's like a, it's like a section a very small section of a of a of a bike park uh, yeah in seattle yeah um was any of that in universe uh yeah it's um is it the gasworks park it's not gasworks but gasworks is an incredible park just absolutely incredible like it's no wonder why incredible street riding was developed there because the place is amazing and they've redone a lot of it and it's like even better than it used to be um but there's a place called a colonnade it is an a a completely man-made mountain biking park that is under the freeways in seattle and it's very Ooh. impressive for being 100 percent man-made they just use the natural slope of the hill under the freeway so it's covered and dry most of the time and there's just all kinds of incredible man-made uh, obstacles like you would see at the north shore and then there's oh, a little nice. section in the middle that just has rocks and pallets and most of it's loose so you can like move it around and adjust things freely and you know nobody really cares that's perfect it's pretty cool it's pretty cool that's amazing but yeah so we've got quite a few dotted around so like the one that we use for the trials championships is called radical bikes and that's in essex which is just north of london um so that's local to me it's like an hour's drive from my house oh, so nice. um, oh my God. which is yeah that's so cool i should go there more often um at the moment they're actually doing a rebuild so they're like a bike park with dirt jumps um and the trials park attached um, and That's they started awesome. the, the trials park was there first. That's kind of what they had. And then they built the dirt jumps as an add on. And I think now the dirt jumps are more popular because Charles is dead. But <laughs> yeah. um, there yeah. are people that still use it, us included. Um, and then there's another one in Cambridgeshire, which is like probably an hour or two's drive from Radical Bikes. Um, and that's owned by Charlie Rolls, who's like the world champion bike trials rider or something. He he's like at the top level in his category i mean you're gonna like, build your you're gonna build yeah. your own playground if you're the world champion i mean exactly and that's one of the ones i haven't been to but um that's one of the ones we're probably going to look at for doing a ride at next year if we're allowed um for sure i mean he's gotta want to have some of those unicycle trials champions in there come on now exactly um and there's another one in derbyshire uh which we went we did an stfu ride in september there um and that's kind of like right slap bang in the middle of the uk so that was kind of handy so we had awesome. quite a good turnout to that um and the guy that owns it carl basically built it it's in his he has a field like next to his house um and his two little boys ride bike trials and he just built it for them originally and then like i think they would have people come over to ride it and then more and more people found out about it and they he was like Do you know what? i'm just going to open it up to the public might as well yeah like if, so you people are literally along. walking in on their of their own free will i mean you might as well start <laughs> making money off of it or something so or at yeah, least making it big for cool. people yeah that's it um so you, you pay three the day um, oh my god and it's amazing oh as well cuz it's like it's in the derbyshire dales so it's on top of this huge hill 
uh, you've got really nice scenery all around, and then you've got this really nice Charles Park, like right there. Oh um, God, I'm so jealous. I'm just so jealous. So, oh, yeah. and I mean, that's probably a couple of hours drive from me, two and a half maybe. Um, but it's quite near Nottingham, which I said before has got a, like a really big unicycle scene. Um, Simon Berry lives right near there now as oh, well. Nice. So, oh, nice. It's probably less than an hour from Simon's house. So even if you drive to these locations, long drive, you have people to stay with, people to hang out with. It's not like you're going there and you hope you run into other unicyclists. Like, they are there. And that's it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, I love that stuff. The classic unicycle sardine hotel pack, you know? I mean, might as well. I mean, yeah, you plan one ride, but man, you take the time to drive two, three hours, four hours for a whole week, and you might as well. You're not gonna, you're not gonna turn around and drive home the same day, you know. Again, um, is probably more expensive than like having to buy food for the night or whatever. For sure. Especially for if sure. you're staying at a unicyclist's house. Yeah, cook your own meal. Uh, have a nice home cooked unicycle meal and. Uh, exactly. House. Yeah. Oh man so jealous you know because uh, like you know here in spokane like i don't even know where the next nearest like group of riders is is like maybe seattle there used to be a big scene you know nola used to live over there in seattle and yeah. uh he's gone and i i know there's a good handful of uh of mountain unicyclists over there uh you know they do have a club with a school over there but even i don't know what it is about the united states we all kind of seem to kind of pack away into our little groups uh kind of like you were saying your north guy is not not joining yeah. in and uh i i don't know if it's due to the size i don't know if there's something we can do in unicycling to make these like groups communicate with each other better but yeah we see most so spread out i think we have the same kind of thing so like you get little bubbles of people geographically dotted around and they kind of ride together, but they don't interact. You only get one or two people from that group come to all the, the national stuff. Um, I think we do have that. It's probably just on a smaller scale to what you have in the States. Um, and I guess the distance that you have doesn't help that at all. Whereas no. we do get like one or two people from each group will usually turn up. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, Seattle is like a five-hour drive for me. It's like that's the closest next place. Like you were saying like five hours top to bottom. I like That's just... The next city over for me is five hours, uh, and that's if I'm, you know, speeding sometimes. <sighs> you know, it's, it sucks so big. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I drove, our last Nationals was in uh, Colorado, uh, last one I went to at least, and... Uh, 
Yeah, uh, I drove, and it was eighteen hours, and I drew, I did it in one day. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a kind of an insane person when it comes to driving. I could I'll I just hate driving. I hate stopping in the middle of the drive. I will just grind. I'll just Red yeah. Bull and, and and sandwich and loud music and windows down. I'll I'll just <laughs> I'll just grind. <laughs> I kind of like driving. And when we, when Unicorn was in Montreal, um, me, my friend Robert, and Sam, who I think you met both of those guys. Uh, yeah. Oh, um, <laughs> some good memories. We drove, yeah. We drove from Montreal to Philly after, um, after Unicorn. And at the time, that felt like a, a colossal drive. We are like, this is fucking insane. I think it took us like two days to drive down there. Yeah, yeah. Um, like we weren't rushing, we were taking our time and stopping and looking totally. at shit. Um, but it took us a couple of days. And then I, I remember looking after I got home, I looked at a map of the States and I was like, Montreal, Philly. You're like, That's fuck all. Oh my God, what? Uh... Yeah. yeah. I was like, what? We didn't do um, But yeah, so, like from where, from, from London to Edinburgh, it's about seven hours. And that's that's a long drive in the UK. Yeah, that's, that's pretty long. long drive. And that's to another country. Like, that's to Scotland. Yeah. Um, it actually, I could go and see the Belgium guys, like Tim Desmet. Um, wow, I could go and see those lot, and it Easier. would take me less time to visit <gasps> than go to Scotland. Wow, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Oh my god. We're spoilt, really. We drive to oh. Winter UC every year, and it takes us like five hours. Oh, oh my God! Oh my God! Where's it? <laughs> winter at UC at? It's in Germany. In Germany, that's right. That's it's right. in Cologne. So that's right, Cologne. Cologne. If, I don't know what I was thinking. Oh. If we get the Euro Tunnel, like the one that goes under the English Channel on the train, the train takes like twenty-five minutes, half an hour. So you drive onto the train in your car, and then it takes like half an hour, and then you arrive in France in Calais, and then it's like three and a half, four hours to Cologne from there. Wait, okay. This is something I maybe I maybe I'm an idiot. Maybe everyone does. You drive your car onto the train like 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 a ferry yeah. even, and it just it just goes. Yeah. So so there's like a ferry that you can get which goes across the English Channel, but it's a ferry. It takes so it's forever. Slow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you can do that. Um, or there's a train that goes through a tunnel that goes under the sea. <laughs> I knew um, that. I knew the tunnels there. I didn't know you could take your car on it. Yeah. So you can drive your car onto the train, and then. How does just... how do I live this long and not know this stuff exists? You think like why I the fact that that doesn't exist in America is insane to me, completely insane. Do you have a need for it though? Because it's only twenty miles from the like the southern tip of England to France. So like the the English Channel is only tw about twenty miles at the narrow bit, and on a clear day you can see France from England. Um, oh and I think God. that's why it's possible because it's so close. Well, like even just land trains, like, I mean, in, uh, you know, there are people who work in my town in Spokane and they fly to Seattle every day to work Oh my! and, and fly back every night. You know, it's only a 45 minute flight, so it's pretty short. But like, you know, imagine going through all the work of having to get on a plane yeah. every day, going through security. You're, you probably have just like a little handbag for, for day business and stuff like that. But like... Man, if you could just drive your car up onto a 
onto a train driver and to be able to like use your own car over there yeah. like you know i don't know using a bullet train that could get over to seattle in i don't know two hours or something like that i i don't think anyone would hate that in the united states uh, we have we have a complete like aversion to trains in a way that doesn't make any sense and obviously like you know the whole airline thing i don't know if you've seen with the pandemic isn't really working out in the united states yeah. you know yeah. we're constantly having to you you know bail out our airlines for some reason uh you know, not to get all political or anything like that but, uh, <laughs> but yeah and i don't know i find i hate flying to be honest like i'll fly i'll fly to any yeah. unicycle event and i'm one of those people i've flown I've flown to Australia three times, you know, uh, New Zealand one time. I've flown to Europe twice now. I've gone to Brazil. And I just death grip my seat for the entire flight. I'm just one of those people. I hate it. I want to die every time that plane leaves the ground. I would never have put you down as being someone that's scared of flying. It's like my only thing. It's like uh, I, you know, I I rock climb. Uh, You know, last summer I did a a, a nearly 2,000 foot cliff. with a friend uh, with my with my girlfriend and uh don't don't let her hear that um <laughs> and uh with my girlfriend and um and you know i love that stuff heights doesn't bother me hanging off of a rope literally thousands of feet off the ground doesn't bother me at all but there's something about being in a metal tube that i am not in control of that makes me feel so uncomfortable i've got to be honest if i'm on a flight and i really think about what's happening i do get a little bit like a little bit worried I'm like, yeah, all it's yeah. going to take is for one bird to fly through that engine and we're fucked. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and there's yeah, literally yeah, nothing so. you can do but sit there and watch it happen. If, yeah, if I yeah. think things like that when I'm on the plane, I get a little bit worried, but we've all got parachutes, <laughs> like, right? So, <laughs> Like, if I was ever on an airplane that was, like, getting hijacked or something like that, like, I would take the bullets. Like, I would get up, I would go like a crazy, insane person <laughs> screaming towards the terrorist, and I'd be like... I would rather literally like have you choke me out than die in a plane crash. Like I'll, I'll murder everyone on this plane than than die in an actual plane crash. I don't know. Wow. That's just my feelings. <laughs> but it will never stop me from going to a unicycle event. Never. Yeah. 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 I think I really like flying because I associate it with going to unicycle events. That's true. Because That's a good point. Basically, ninety nine percent of the traveling I do is because of unicycling. So. I always get that feeling that I'm going to an event or I'm going to at least go and meet friends who I know through unicycling. Um, so I get that really good like vibe from it. Ah, uh, yeah, t- I totally, you know, you, 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 I mean, I like hate getting on there, but I know like where I'm going and I know the people I'm going to see. and I know the fun I'm going to have. And like, there's no amount of fear that is like worth like taking that away from me, you know, in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. My roommate yeah. is a pilot. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and and he's like, uh, you know, we actually took a trip to Moab together, uh, and we flew his plane down. Oh, uh, I heard about this. Yeah, for our Moab Mountain Unicycle event, and uh, that's fucking cool. It man. was pretty insane. Um, it was super fun. I threw up on the plane. I've never done that before. I also uh, heard about. That. Um, and I've <laughs> uh, so much. I couldn't. It's like I couldn't stop throwing up. Like it just kept coming and coming, and I was like, "No, I'm strong. I can hold it." And like, just more. Wow. Um, but you know, it was really fun. It was really enjoyable. I would hesitate to do it again, not because of the flying, but uh, you know, he has a small plane like a Cessna. I he's gonna give me crap because I can't remember what type of plane he has. Um, but it's like taking a car trip, but you can't use the bathroom. 
you know, you're literally stuck up there. Yeah, you're stuck you're up there. You know, you know, and you know, we're two six foot three guys, <laughs> and so we're like elbow, you know, shoulder to shoulder with our headphones on, and there's no radio, and you're flying for. Uh, it wasn't too bad. I think it was only six hours. Um, but you know. Oh. God. Yeah, which is crazy. Um, but, I thought you were uh, gonna say like a couple of hours. No, no, it's still like six hours. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, like a twenty-hour drive from my city to Moab, and I've made that drive like over twelve times. Wow. Okay. When you put it like that, yeah, six hours on a plane is probably alright. Uh, and there's an airport in Moab, even though it's a small town, so you can just land in Moab proper, and it's not too bad. Um, oh but, wow. Uh, uh, but you know, so like, yeah. But if you're like hungry, if you got to take a, if you got to take a, a bathroom break or something, you got to like legit find an airport, land the plane, like <laughs> do it. It's uh, not just like pulling over. No, no, not at all, not at all. And you can't like, I mean, you could go in a bottle, but you know, there was three of us in the plane, <laughs> so I was like, uh, a lady was with us, and I wasn't, I wasn't prepared to just you know go in a bottle and in front of uh, you know guests. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Oh um, wow. But I'd I'd consider doing it again. Experience. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I Never... mean, who has access to their own plane? I mean, geez. Exactly. Like, I've certainly never thought about flying directly to a, a Muni event. Um, I've heard that uh, individual flying is not very popular uh, in Europe. Uh, do you, Do you know anyone who flies? Like, has their own plane? Um... I don't know anyone who flies, but um, I do. I rent a workshop um, on a farm, and there's a there's a landing strip on the field over the hedge from where my workshop is. So every now and again, you'll see like a small plane just fly really low over the workshop and over the hedge, and it's because it's landed in the field. Um, so I don't actually know anyone that does it, but you, there are small airfields around. Um, but I, it's kind of rare. And these days, I haven't seen a plane land there for two years, maybe. For sure. For sure um but yeah i guess we just drive places if we need to go somewhere uh ed let's just do a little bit of a little bit of the standard questions shall we hit me uh you know uh okay what's your favorite what's your favorite trick or stunt oh your favorite your personal favorite the one that like when you want to do the stunt the one i enjoy the one doing or the like one i like seeing let's do both let's do it. first the one that you enjoy doing I think it's got to be just like a handrail grind. Oh, really? Yep. Just a straightforward rail grind. Oh, man. You know, I am the most terrified of grinds. So am I. Um, um, but it's something that I've learned to deal with. Um, the thing, and I always say this to people I'm trying to teach how to grind, and it's probably not a good thing to tell people who are learning to grind <laughs> a rail, it never gets less scary. Oh, that's good. I need to hear for, that. Honestly. For me, it's always as scary as the first time I ever rolled up to a handrail. When you're riding towards that rail, I always get that little butterfly feeling in my heart. Mm. Always. Um, that's why you do it, right? Oh, yeah, man, and I think that like... is it. I think that you've hit the nail on the head. That's why I do it. Um, but I remember riding up to the first proper handrail I ever did... And I still get that feeling from it. Whereas like a unispin or something like that, like you just get used to it and you know you can do it. It's like automatic. I don't find that with grinding handrails, but I think that's why I like it. You get that little bit of scared every time. 
the kid I ride with, uh, he just hit his first real handrail, like legit, like rode up, hit it, grinded. And I, I haven't done this rail. I, it is a, it is a big fat bar. It's low. It's on a five stair. Uh, the run up is incredible. And I ride up to it and I just, ah, you know, I just can't do it. And he, he it took him, a, it took him a while. Like we've visited this rail over the course of like the summer. And yesterday he rode up to it, like gritted his teeth and hit it and like did it on his, like when he finally committed to the jump, he like did it on his like first try. And oh, he's nice. like, he's like, it's easier, Phil. It's easier than our park rails. Like you gotta, you gotta do it. And, uh, oh, man, I didn't make it happen yesterday. I'm still worried about it. Oh man, I love it when someone who you've seen kind of coming up finally does stuff that you can't do. Yeah, um, that happened to me a long time ago, um, and now like everyone's better than I am, which is <laughs> like I don't care. I like seeing that, that the skill level has gone from like the baseline is like here. Yeah, uh, when I was started riding, and now it's, the baseline is here. I, I um, and, and I'm still down here. <laughs> I absolutely agree. I just I I am only impressed with with seeing people, him fly past me. You know, I watched him land his first crank flip, you know, oh, on yeah. flat ground. And now he's doing rails. I'm a, I'm so chicken to ride. And like, I'll give you like a brief history for me. Like I, my first rail I ever tried this like super, like just little rainbow thing at the skate park. First time doing it, jumped on, slid, felt amazing, came off, hit the thing, rolled my ankle so bad I had to go to the hospital. It was my oh, first man. grind rail. That's not a good experience. And to then when start I off with <laughs> not at all. And then when I finally did my first, uh, there's a, we have a a decent side. They they call it the big rail at our skate park. The first time I tried it, I rolled up to it, jumped, clipped it, landed on my rib cage, went underneath it, and like hit the bottom bar with my back. Oh, and oh, this is my first time trying rails, and I'm like, I I can't, as a 33 year old man, like do this to my body when I don't know what the consequences are. And so, like, that's when I ride up to the rail. That's all I see is, like, my body in a heap on the ground. Because it's literally happened to me, you know, two yeah. times. Yeah. But I want it, Ed. I want yeah. it so bad. This is... You just got to keep hitting it, man. Oh, I got to go. I got to. It's it's literally my hurdle. It's my, I could, I could throw some flip tricks. I think I am going to land a 720 uh, spin here real soon. I haven't landed it yet. Nice. Uh uh, but all those tricks are like, like I can see the line and it's within my bubble, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the sure. rail, it just seems like it's, that's the one that's always, it's on the edge of my bubble. Like the only yeah. way I can, I'm going to get it is if I get it and, and let it come inside my bubble. Yeah. I think, I think if you've got the bottle to actually leave the ground and hop to the rail, <sighs> that's, that's 90% of it done. Did you say the butthole to do that? Bottle. Oh, bottle. It's because uh, my dialect. I, I drop all my. Teeth. What does that mean? The bottle to do it. The bottle is like the bollocks. Oh, okay. 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 Like if you've got the guts to do it. The guts. Yeah, I assume that's right. I just... Hop to the rail, then. Oh, man. I think you're ninety percent of the way there. Yeah, I gotta find those guts. I'm not. A... My problem with doing rails is I never commit, um, so I'll always come off the rail early. Totally. So, like, 100% of the time, I'll get my pedal on the rail. Um, but if I haven't fully committed, I'm not... My weight's not over it. So, um, totally. 
and I just land halfway down the stairs and right just end up riding down the steps. Oh, man, I would be so okay with that. Like, yeah, my part is uh, I'm definitely afraid of like that initial not getting my pedal onto the rail. That that's where I was for my fear. Oh, see, I've never been scared of that. I'm always scared why. of leaning too far over it. But then when that happens, it's easy to just jump out of it. Totally. Uh, so I don't know why I'm scared of that, but I just am. I'm just too scared of leaning too far over it. It is so refreshing to hear from someone who can grind that they're afraid of grind still. I just, I just need that in my mind. Yeah, they they never get less scary. That's they're just as know. terrifying as the day I learn. You hear that, Riders of the World? That's why I like it. Not scary. <laughs> but also it might be because I'm getting older. That's true. You just get more scared. <laughs> yeah, you might, you might hit the grind and not get back up one of those times. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that one day I might have a really bad experience and then I'll just be like, okay, I'm done with grinds now. Sure. Because uh, I've done that with a lot of tricks. Um, I've just got to a point where I can't, I just can't make myself do it anymore. Um, so I used to do like big 180s and stuff. Yeah. Um, don't do those because the consequences of hit i always think about what if i hit my head on the floor if i can't ride out if i'm going too quick um and i can't make myself do big like 180s down big things anymore uh, and i i can only imagine that's an age thing um you wear a helmet not all the time but a lot of the time now huh. yeah um but and yeah i things i used to force my well, things I used to be able to force myself to do, I can't force myself to do anymore. And nothing's really changed. I've got a bit older. Yeah, yeah well, just a little bit more. Yeah. You know, you, you, you're a little closer to what you know is the end. Yeah. You know, and you, you're like, I, got, I just want to like stay healthy and alive until, the, until that day comes. Yeah. And I think, I think my mindset has changed in general. Like, I used to think like, oh, this is going to be so cool. It's going to look amazing if I land it, um, like everyone, like I'd always be riding with a group of people and I'd be like, oh, everyone's going to think this is cool. And so it kind of, that would give you an incentive to kind of push through your fear barrier and do it. Whereas now, even if I'm with a group of people and it's on an STFU and I'm like, oh, this would look cool. But I'm like, yeah, it's not worth it though. I don't want to hurt myself. And I think that's what's changed now. Yeah, I don't know. I still have a little bit. That's why I want to get over the rails. I still have that like, that bit in my mind, we're like, you know what? I could probably get hurt. Uh, 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 just maybe like two more years of like getting hurt. Yeah, that's where I'm yeah. at in my brain. I'm like, I've I've really improved my uh, my fitness this year, and I've been riding a lot, and my skills have, have improved a lot. Uh, and I I'm like, there was a time like I don't know a couple years ago where I was like, I don't know, maybe we've just we've hit the top of where we're at, and. Uh, you know, I kept going to events, and I finally out someone else, uh, you know, started riding my town, and it pushed me to like, you know, I, I can uh, my job will let me work even if I had an injury or something like that, and so why doesn't why does well push a little bit more right now? Yeah, I think. Did you see? Um, it was literally like last week or this week. Um, there was a video uh, about Noli. Yeah. Um, have, have you seen that? I watched it. I watched the whole thing. It's, pretty, it's good. Yeah. It's a fun video. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed it. I um, feel like that video very literally encompasses what riding with Nolly is actually like. Yeah, for sure. Um, but he said something that really struck a chord with me because I am exactly the same as him and I didn't realize this. Um, I think 
a lot of the reason like these days i will only try something if i if i'm almost a hundred percent sure it. yeah yeah um so if i'm attempting something it's because i know i i, I can do it younger i would attempt some crazy shit that i wasn't sure if i could do or not um, totally whereas yeah like now if i see something i think i i'm just better at assessing stuff and i'm like that's something i can ride or i'm like that's something i can't ride and i will only attempt the things that i i can ride um and i think i waste less time doing that as well because there's nothing worse than having a crowd of people standing there watching you fall again (laughs) and again and again and again and then not doing it yeah, you're trying to throw that trick, and you're like, "Oh God, please, please just stop watching everyone. Just, I just let me have a few more warm-up attempts before, before we start filming." Yeah, um, but I think, yeah, when Noli said that in that video, I was like, "Do you know what? I do the same thing. I if I don't think I can do it, I won't hit it at all." Now, do you think you could have like the 100% knowledge that you could do something that you haven't done before? Like you're like okay, I I I'm working. I've, I have all these skills, and I've been working on writing, and oh man, I just thought of this thing. I think I can do, but I've never done it. Like, but I, I think it, it's 100% within my ability. Have you ever had like that moment with the skill? I don't know if I've ever had that, but I know from the first attempt if it's something I can do. So like if I think of something i used to do a lot of like tech pedal grab stuff yeah, yeah and i would i would have an idea and i'd be like i'd try it once and i would know from that first try if it was something i was going to be able to land or not and so that first try would tell you whether you needed to put more time into it or be like nah i can't i'm not even going to come close for sure yeah i got a i got a stunt i'm working on right now that uh i i literally woke up from sleep and was like oh my gosh i think i can do this like it's just something I'd never thought of before, but uh, I haven't got it yet. But I'm really close. It's 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 definitely gonna happen. There'll be a clip nice. there'll be a clip soon. I gotta wait for a dry day though. It's a dependent on slipperiness. Ah, looking forward to that. I'm gonna mm. keep an eye out for that. Uh, how about your uh, your favorite trick to uh, that you've seen? Oh, um, that's a big question. Or, or yeah, um, the, 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 the other one we were talking about, the one where, like, you know, what's your favorite trick that exists in the world? That, uh... In the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really like coasts. Oh, they're so cool. I really, really like coasts. Um, and obviously the person that immediately springs to mind is Mimo. Um, and in yep. Good Religion, which came out what, last week. Yeah, I got the video before, up like, on, on the screen right now. <laughs> Like all the like the coasting forwards to backwards is insane, um, but also I think it was Louis Stevens made a video a year or so ago, and it was literally just coasts down hills really fast. Yeah, yeah, that was fucking cool, and I could watch that all day. I think I just like watching people coast really fast. Um, I might maybe I have this one. I think this one might be because uh, Ivor Christensen he does lots of coasts as well. Uh, the one that I love the most when I think of like a, a coast is like a, the one where he like puts his foot down on the, it's like the the do not enter sign or whatever, and he like yeah. slides with that down the slope and then like picks his foot. Oh, I just think that's like some of the best urban in, interpretations of like a coast I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, 
Iver does some really, really nice stuff. And I'm not sure if that's because coasting wasn't really that cool when I first started riding and first started riding street. Um, it's something that's kind of developed since and I kind of missed out on that wave. I've tried learning to coast and I've got like two or three revs before, but it's not consistent. And I have really good and bad days and I guess everyone does. Totally. But it's not, it's not something that I've ever managed to lock in and just get and do. But it, I've always enjoyed trying to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I think I kind of missed that boat. Um, but now it seems to be like a standard street thing. Yeah, it's crazy. I've I've been working on it a lot actually. Uh, no, I'm, I'm getting uh, I'm getting okay. Uh, I yeah. the thing I my the skill I'm working on is trying to do like one rev and launch. You know, try to make it happen yeah. as quickly as possible. Yeah. Yeah, because that's the danger with coast. You can end up just riding one foot all over the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god, and you just feel like an idiot. Like, just like, come on, let's do it, let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. Yeah, that's what I end up doing half the time. But um, yeah, I think I think coming from a BMX background as well is part of the reason why I like coasts because they look a bit smoother than just general riding, um, and you can get a bit more speed. Um, and my dream is to see someone drop in on a quarter pipe like on coasting. Coast. Oh my god. Like like landing to pedals, I assume. No, like coasting down it and then like coasting out. Um oh, like I don't shit. know if that's possible. I don't know if that is, but Mimo's <sighs> done stuff that I didn't think I'd ever see on a unicycle. So it, who knows? Anything is possible. If someone puts well, and does it, it. Did, didn't Mimo in one of his clips he coasts He coasts up a quarter, up a quarter pipe. Down, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so he's yeah. done oh, like God. half of it, but I guess the hard bit is coming down the steepest bit of a quarter. Of course, of course, and recovery. Yeah, yeah. From that. Like where, where the hell would your way. weight go? I have no yeah. idea, but that's not for me to work out. Well, and like you'd come out of it so fast that it'd be like, you know, hopefully got a long run out into something else so you can catch it. Yeah, oh. but that's like my dream. I want to see someone do that. That'd be insane. It'd blow my mind. Um, but then again, a lot of riding I've seen has blown my mind. That's true, especially this year, especially yeah. Nemo and oh god, all those guys are just landing nutty stuff. I personally even like—I don't know if you watched uh, Alex Anderson put out a, like a, a big bay flip video. Yeah, and, I was so happy to see him release a video. Yeah, it looks so good, and like, it just even it just shows like one of the weird things about unicycling that even like the bay flip, just that one trick, can have so much diversity. Uh, and God, yeah, he's doing like bay, you know, full out flips and stuff off of things. I'm like, what? Like, how do you even think to do that? Yeah, <sighs> yeah, it's cool. Uh, and then, and uh, like, I don't know, what do you think? Uh, what's uh, have you ever broken any unicycle parts? Ed? Mainly just cranks, I think. Um, oh, and pedals. Um, I go through pedals fairly quick because certainly these days, most of my riding is just grinds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so pedals when I'm riding a lot over the summer, um, it's like maybe set of pedals a month. Um, Pedal a month. Yeah. Cause I grind them really flat. So eventually I just, they don't really give you any grip. I kind of like that though. I can't ride on fresh pedals. Yeah. I so agree. like whenever I get a set of freshies, I have to, either deliberately grind them on the ground so they i can grind on them or like just the first day or so is just a bad day 
and it's everything sticks. Oh, uh, when I get a new pair of pedals, I I literally take them to a grinder. I like grind like all the all the big pegs and stuff off, so it's yeah. like a little bit smoother. But I really like you know lots of flippy type tricks as well. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've broken a few cranks, like old Cox Street cranks. I've cracked and loads of tensiles I've snapped because I ride tensiles on my trials, um, and they always end up pair. breaking. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, I've got man. set on my, got a set on my trials at the moment. Um, the last set I got have lasted me a long time. I think Rob Terry gave them to me in 2013 or 2014, and I had them under my bed as like a spare set. They were like <laughs> yeah. brand new, and I was like, "This is my like holy grail." Yeah, I got to take care of these. Yeah, and then I broke my last pen. I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna have to use them." So they've been on my yoon for a couple of years now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've broken a few sets of those. They always snap where the pedal inserts are because I guess that's where the crank is thinnest. Um, and they always snap across there. Uh, yeah, loads of pedals. I broke seat posts when I was trying to crank flips. Um, and I've broken seat posts on Muni as well. Um, that's where I snap the most posts, actually. That makes sense. You know, you come off just a little too forward or something like that and just, just yeah. snap that seat right off of that thing. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's it. I haven't really broken... I've never broken a frame or anything cool like that. Um, bent loads of seats. Yeah, but... yeah. Oh, I, think I've broken, <laughs> I think I've broken every part of the unicycle. <laughs> yeah, Phil, you're asking an amateur. You're a pro. <laughs> well, I'm a, a pro breaking things. Uh, that's probably where, where my limit is. Like, I can't think... Like, oh, man, I've snapped cranks in half. I've obviously pedals. I've smashed rims. I've I've broken at least two Chris home frames like right in half right below the, the seat post. Uh, I've broken four carbon fiber seat bases. Oh my god! Um, I'd be absolutely gutted if I broke a carbon. Oh, base. Yeah, it hurts. My wallet hurts. Believe <laughs> me. Uh, one one of my wheels, um, the, I j was doing I think crank flips off of stuff, and the flanges that held the spokes started like ripping apart like a zipper like all the way across the hub i've i've actually had that myself but not while i've been riding oh, yeah, i've yeah. had um, it was like an old nimbus hub where i think it's got aluminium flanges and a steel um like uh axle mm -hmm. um and it was just a spare wheel i had sat just hanging in my shed and i hadn't used it for so long and I went to use it one day and all the spokes had pulled out the flanges, like just ripped the flange apart. Yeah, totally. Where the aluminium had just corroded and then became so weak, it just busted. Yeah. And then you know, um, use over time, I'm sure, too. Yeah. And oh, actually, I did used to snap hubs when I first learned to ride in like 2003. Um, it was just before like the KH Onza spline came out, I think. We would still ride square taper. Yeah. So I had like a, an old Nimbus Trials and it was just like, basically had a creepy crawler tire on a Nimbus 2 unicycle. <laughs> yeah. That's what made it a Trials. Oh, man. Um, and we used to snap, me and my brother learned to ride together and we used to snap like a Nimbus square taper hub like every ride. So oh. we'd go out like at the weekend, snap a hub, like buy another hub with our paper round money in the week, get it delivered build the wheel again, snap it the next weekend, <laughs> rinse and repeat. That's, I snap loads of those things. That's so awesome. Yeah, my first real unicycle uh, was uh, 
the the first generation Chris Home unicycle. The it was like the Summit unicycle that then became the, like the black, like the black one. That steel like Chris Home unicycle. Yeah. And uh, the year before I got it, uh, our our brand, the brand that's like the cheap unicycles in the United States, is uh, Torker. Uh, I don't know if they have Torkers over there in the UK. I remember. Yeah, there was a well. I guess. I don't know if it was before memes. I don't know when memes were invented, but there used to be that meme of the talker, the DX or something going around yeah. on the unicyclist.com forum. Yeah, yeah. Oh, classic. Uh, but the year <laughs> I before I got my Chris Home unicycle, I broke. I don't know how I did this. I, I, I must have had a, a job at the time or, or been working for, for money because I broke, I think, eight torker unicycles in one year oh my god and that's when my parents were like you need something else and i had been telling them like i need a better unicycle they're like whatever my parents at, at the beginning were were kind of like waiting for unicycling to die out for me but uh boy were they wrong <laughs> wow yeah i th- you, you're definitely the guy I know who's broken the most stuff, for sure. Oh, well, that feels good. That feels good. It's good to know that like, I still have that title a little bit out there. I, know, I've seen yeah. a, I feel like Mario Bell is chasing me pretty good. I, I haven't heard from him in a little while, but man, his videos always have him just breaking stuff in the most insane ways. Yeah, true, true. Well, what do you think, Ed? I mean, we're at, we're at an hour and ten minutes. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that's how long it had been. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I don't know what time um, it is there. It's uh, it's almost 11 a.m. here. It's 10 to 7 p.m. here. Oh, geez, that's nice. That's like you're yeah. getting in, just getting into your evening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I don't know. Uh, you got plug plug your your podcast. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. Um, so I do a podcast called the Unicycle Life Podcast, um, and we talk about anything related to unicycling. Um, Obviously, I've got an urban background, and a lot of the people that are regulars on it have an urban background as well, but we talk about anything unicycling. Um, So, yeah, it's the Unicycle Life podcast. It's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, and it's hosted on Anchor. So you can get it through all your regular podcast channels as well as going direct to Anchor, which is where it is. Oh, so incredible. Yeah, we'll have to chat about the Anchor. I'm uh, having uh, having trouble figuring it out, but, yeah. That's how it goes, trying to get this thing. I think this is going to be the year, the year for unicycle content and unicycle podcasts, especially during the pandemic here. Oh, I hope so. I mean, this this hasn't even had its first episode out by the time you guys hear this, everyone in the unicycle world. But uh, this is going to be episode five, I think. So, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I tell myself I'm putting in the work. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. Totally, totally. Um, is going to be a follow-up to an episode we did um around i think september 2020 and we talked a lot about unicon and unicycle events and how they are run how we think they should be run how we think they might run in the future 
um and especially regarding covid like how we think events might happen during covid times um and we had a lot of chat and i think a lot of the listeners um kind of got misinterpreted what we were saying maybe sure. um because i'm gonna have emil matthew i, I probably didn't pronounce emil. we know we know, yes, we know yes. emil we're gonna have a meal on it um and francois the guy who's behind the unicorn in grenoble um to talk about events because there's a lot of basically none of the people that were on our podcast had experience running huge events like unicorn totally totally so a, a lot of what we were hypothesizing about was probably incorrect would probably never work um and we had some feedback from emil and francois and i was like do you know what i'm just gonna get you guys on we'll talk about it yeah yeah i mean i oh fully be, that is a subject i would love to dive into one of these times uh maybe after after that one comes out we we could have another little chit chat about it uh, yeah i'd love to be back on yeah i think the i think the world of unicycle competition is is like complicated in a way that sometimes riders don't understand because you know there's so much space between the events and people who get dragged into them are usually new to working with events or or even hosting it sometimes so for sure yeah and yeah there's so much like planning and uh, red tape behind the scenes that i think your average participant doesn't even realize happens um and even to people who have organized events in the past like myself i've done like small national stuff and i've done euc summer 2019 that's like the biggest thing i've ever done um i've been a director for events for like um ec which is the european championships i was director for jumps for that um and i've been director for jumps at unicorn a couple of times now um and that's reasonably big but it's nothing like doing like an entire Unicorn. Absolutely. So I've got some experience and I can kind of experience when I talk about events. But obviously when you go up to the next level, like, like a tier above the, the events directors at Unicorn, then it's like next level or not. I don't have that kind of experience. And yeah. I think that's where like Emile and Francois were like, you have no idea. And I was like, do you know what? I, I don't. I believe them. You know, I've only I was a trials director for one nationals uh, that took place in Seattle, and it was so much more work than even I was ready for a lot of work, and it was yeah. easily, easily ten times more work than I was expecting. And ah uh, man, like it, it's it's the difference between going to an event and having fun and riding, and going to an event and running it and not riding the entire time because you are just not riding not sleeping not eating not doing anything yeah, just organizing just pulling your hair out hoping you get stuff done in time uh you know yeah keeping stuff moving while the event's actually happening oh it, i yeah i think it, remember this unicycle whenever you go to your next event when we say we, we need volunteers we need help volunteering is the number one thing you can do to help events directors um you do not realize when you're volunteering how much that means to the event director um it's literally like the most useful thing you could do is just be, turn up and be like what can i do yeah it should go in and get them a bottle of water like uh, it could be you know save them that five minutes they need you know yeah if i'm at an event now and i'm not organizing or involved in the organizing i'll always volunteer because since being an events director i realize value of it and it's literally like events run because of volunteers. 
Yeah. And I think someone who's not volunteered before or someone who's not helped to organize or run an event before just doesn't know that. Doesn't realize. You know, I know for a lot of us, like our unicycle events are sometimes our, our vacation, you know, our actual break. But you know what? You know, party a couple of those days and, you know, after party, just take a break. Just take a couple of days to help out with a couple of events and, you know, party hard afterwards or party when the event, all the, all the work is done, so to speak. That's it. Yeah. I mean, even like an hour. Yeah. Gonna even an hour. Out. You know, go and get him, go and grab the pizza, bring it back over. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah, man. I like doing it, but it does take a lot from you. Uh, it does, uh, you know, but you you want it to be better. That's why you do yeah. it. You know, you well, that's wanna... it. Yeah. And I think going back to my podcast, um, a, a lot of the things that you think are going to work in theory um, actually don't work in practice um, with events. I believe uh, it. I, we, we were hypothesizing about how we can hold events um with COVID and maybe downscale events and split disciplines and things, um, basically just throwing ideas out. And I think that's where like people got a bit confused about what we're actually suggesting. We weren't saying like events should be like this. This is what events should do in the future. Yeah, yeah you're just saying make make more events, more new events that that have a different concept behind them, other than what we currently are using with like our Unicon and our national events. I thought I understood that pretty well from listening to your podcast. It'll be interesting. Oh, that's a that's a podcast between us all by itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, if you if well, you want to hear stuff like that, go and hit up the Unicycle Life podcast. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We get ourselves sure. in some Maybe sorts of trouble. Yeah, that sounds fun. I definitely want to be a part of one of those. We should get you on, Phil. I uh, yeah I, I know uh, I, this is probably gonna make the recording, but like I have definitely been part of some of those rulebook committees, and uh, it's uh it's it's crazy the discussions that go on, uh, you know uh, how how the rules work, how to make the competitions better, and even things like understanding the rules between people who speak different languages create all kinds of interesting challenges for how the rules have to be created and and interpreted. Yeah, for sure. And do you know what though? I think. That is one of the things I love about unicycling. We are in a position where we are making up the rules. Like I have had an influence on the IUF rulebook. Yeah. You have had an influence on how competitions are run. That's amazing. And I don't know how many other sports you would be able to get that involved in. You would have to be at such a high level in soccer. Imagine yeah. like, having, a, having a, a say in how they do like the world cha- I, I don't watch football um, yeah. <laughs> the world championships for football I don't know if that's a thing um, but imagine that like you'd have to be so high up whereas me and you can influence how the world championships of unicycling are run absolutely like the unicyclists who are listening now you you think you can't be a part of this you can like you know be, we need the help too like people yeah. want to hear everyone's input you know and we're ready to hear Flatland you fresh wasn't even in the rule book until like last year yeah yeah, it's just part of just general urban riding, you know? Crazy. Yeah. Um, and that's why I love this sport, because you can get as involved in it as you want. And it's still new and it's still growing. And we're still working out what works and what doesn't. Absolutely. Uh, well, Ed, I think, uh, I think it's time for, for me, to, at least, to, to end this uh, recording. 
Uh, yeah, man, I'll let you get on. Yeah, it's, it's been great having you here. Thanks for thanks for having me on. It's um, it's really good to talk to you again. Yeah, yeah, too too long. You know, I feel like I thought about doing this a little bit more, but I'm glad that we fi- I fi- we finally started having these conversations between us. Yeah, man, it's fired me up to get other people on my pod as well, because um, this is easy. So this it's it easy. It's easy. More. And there's no reason why we can't be generating more of these this content, having more of these conversations. That's it. Totally. I'm with you, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for being here, Ed. And uh, I guess I'll see you.